Specifically, what makes Maryland great is that um, our growing climate and our terroir combined with the microclimates we have around the state enable Maryland to grow one of the most diverse set of grape varieties that I've seen anywhere. Welcome to the Swell Suite, everybody. This week, our special guest is Kevin Addicts. Kevin Addicts has been the executive director of the Maryland Wineries Association since 2003. He serves on the University of Maryland College of Agriculture's Global Leadership Council and on the board of Future Harvest. All of us know Kevin really well. We've written about Maryland wines. We've volunteered at wine festivals. We've judged wine competitions in Maryland and all of these things that happen in Maryland wine. Kevin is like the Wizard of Oz. He's like the man behind the curtain doing all of the back work. So it was a pleasure to have him on the show. I hope you guys enjoy. Cheers. Welcome to the Swell Suite, everybody. We got everybody in the house today. Hey, y'all. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> How y'all doing? We've been together all weekend. I know. Oh my yes. So rare. It was a good weekend. Tell us more. Tell me more. Glennis arranged for, uh, well, Erica Crawford reached out to her and wanted to have dinner with us. She's in town for a little bit. She's going on a little tour. Yeah, we had dinner with her at Rasika, had Indian food and had her wines paired with it on Saturday. It was bomb. It was great. So for all who don't know which Erica, she's speaking of, she's speaking of Erica Crawford. Sometimes she says the better half of Kim Crawford and Erica Crawford. Um, their new wine um, to their portfolio, now Love Block portfolio, is outstanding. They are using green tea as the preservative, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah. It was so good. It's and so good it job. was freaking phenomenal. That's good. Uh, they're always doing new um, techniques um, for their Love Block wine and everything. They unbelievable. Can't wait to get some of those wines so I could just drink them at my leisure. Yeah. And she did say yes. that they weren't, it hasn't been released yet. Yes. So um, Erica is going to, I don't know when exactly that wine is going to be released. So hopefully we can have her back on the Swirl Suite to talk about it because we had a good time with her. It was fun. Oh, yeah. And I would like to say it was a Sauvignon Blanc and I enjoyed it. Why are you stealing my punchline? I'm I'm sorry. I'm supposed to bring that into the conversation, (laughs) Leslie. No. It was was very good. And also, yesterday we spent the evening together at the Women of Wine. Is it Women of Wine? Women of Wine DC had an event yesterday at the Bottles Wine Garden. And it was a bunch of um, lady sommeliers pouring their favorite wines from their establishments. And we just did a walk around tasting. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was the first time. I, I don't want to say first time ever, because it probably did happen many years ago, but it's the first time in a long time where a, an event like this had been organized in DC for um, people who were women who were in the wine industry. And y'all know how this all started, right? It all it all started. I think it might have been last year sometime where someone asked the question. It started with one question. Can you tell me where female sommeliers are in D.C.? And nobody had an answer. And, you know, and so everyone got mad and 
Now there is a global list of uh, Lady Sommeliers in D.C. and you can find them on that list. But um, yeah, Women of Wine, that's where that's where it is. And so I think they're going to have these events, you know, every so often. But yes, it's nice. It's nothing like there's nothing like a spark that'll get things. Oh, moving, yeah. Right. For sure. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes it a little uncomfortable and like, well, then we got to make it happen. So I think that was like a good 60, 70 people in there. Yeah, they had a nice crowd. It was a very mm-hmm. well attended event. And some really great wines were poured there also. There were really nice people, interesting people. Um, there <clears throat> places I hadn't heard of, like um the the uh the Giro place. Happy Giro wines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it was it was cool. It was it was cool. So Tanisha, what did, how did you spend your weekend? What have you been doing? Uh, I had a bit of a busy weekend. Exciting though. Um, uh, Friday went out to Champagne um, yep. and went to Renard's Vineyards and then did a tour of Krug. And then uh, Sunday went down to um, Terrasse de Larzac, um, an AOC in the Languedoc region of France. And did a wine tasting there, and they have set up this new tourism project that has uh, they have QR codes that go with the podcast. If you go to different sites, so you can hear the information there, you don't have to have a tour guide and stuff. And they have this uh, red soil that's what makes their wines taste the way they do. It's this red, rocky, clay-like soil that was fascinating to hear about. And then did that, and then came back on the train today. That sounds like Maryland soil. Yeah. The same, same, same. Lovely segue. Speaking of Maryland wine, we have a very special guest today, Kevin Addicts. Welcome to the Swirl Suite. Thank you very much for the invite. Appreciate it. So Kevin, Kevin knows all of us because he's been in Maryland wine and we live in the Maryland area. Well, and Tanisha did, but we all know Kevin very, very well. But I don't think I know like your background of how all of this started. What is your connection to Maryland and to Maryland wine? So it started with a glass of wine and it actually started in Colorado where I was studying at the time, lived in Maryland you know, my whole life leading up to that point, went to Colorado uh, to try to get a degree and um, started freelance writing about Colorado wine and got really interested in the wine industry there. Flash forward to uh, one of the breaks, I come home and thought, well, if it's, if there's wine there, there's got to be wine in Maryland. And I started hunting around and quickly found that uh, at the time there were nine, soon to be 10 operating wineries. And I decided that I would visit each of them and basically put together a a tour guide, a book called Discovering Maryland Wineries. And that ended up uh, being published in 1998, right when the 10th winery was opening and that was Deep Creek Cellars. And, um, from there, the, the, I just I got to know the winemakers through that process. And at some point, one of them said, hey, you're, you're writing and we need, we need a writer. We need someone to do some PR for us. And that's kind of where it began many, many, many years ago. And I, I started with uh, Maryland Wineries Association in 2003 
and the rest has been a whole heck of a lot of fun. Now, you said you tried to get a degree. Did you get it? Well, I did get it. I, I, okay. I, I, <laughs> it, it, took, it took me it took me a little bit, but I did get it and ended up with a, uh, a degree in communication and environmental journalism. So it kind of segues in. Well, that, no, that fits. That fits. And I read here that you have a degree in communication, journalism, and music composition. That is so common with so many people in wine. Music. Yep. Yep. Well, and, and I, I think, and as I came to understand it, whenever you talk with a winemaker anywhere, it's not just wine. They're also a writer or they're also a musician or they're an astrophysicist, right? It, it seems like, I don't want to say crazy, but you know, it's, it's folks who are doing things that are wildly creative in making wine. And it takes a certain type of person to do that. So they're either wildly creative in the rest of their world, or they are um, super analytical and winemaking is their outlet. Winemaking is their creative outlet. So we all have something that we do that, that you know, is on the creative side. But I always found that fascinating is, um, you know, when you ask and someone's been a winemaker for 30 years, that's great. And you always ask, like, well, what else do you do? Because there's always something else they do. What's so special about Maryland wine? What's something? Sp- so I, I'll answer it two ways. Um, what's so special about any wine region? And that is the terroir and the people who make the wine. Right. So that's that's what's special about any wine region. And so when you. Zoom into Maryland, what's, what's fascinating here is we've got, uh, and, and this goes for Virginia, this goes for some of the New York wine regions as well, uh, and, and certainly around Philadelphia, et cetera. They're within a population center. They, they're able to make a really good product, charge what it's actually worth, right? We can't make a $9 bottle of wine here. Um, we can make a phenomenal $20 bottle, an outrageously good, uh, you know, $40 bottle, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a, there's a population center here. There's a market here that uh, is able to help sustain these very, very small wineries where in other places of the world, the wineries have to be pretty big. They have to be scaled a lot bigger to be successful. So one of the great things about Maryland is, I mean, this, you know, can be almost a hut. And you drive up and you wonder, you know, should I, should, what's going to happen in there? And you try that wine and it blows you away. It's amazing wine. And I know Leslie knows this from traveling around and, and, and being the one that's, you know, taking a crew up to this place and um, the wine's amazing. And, you know, it, we've got this, this crazy market that's able to support it. Specifically what makes Maryland great is that um, our growing climate and our, our, our terroir combined with the microclimates we have around the state enable Maryland to grow one of the my, most diverse set of grape varieties that I've seen anywhere. You know, certainly in Europe, if you airdrop somewhere in Germany or, or you know, wherever you end up, um, they've got a certain set of grapes that they grow, and it's usually a pretty narrow list. And very often it's government regulated. They can only grow X, Y, and Z. In Maryland, that's not the case. So we've got kind of that American freedom to do whatever the heck we want, number one. And number two, across our growing regions from the mountains of Western Maryland to obviously, you know, Frederick County, Montgomery County, up through Carroll and and Baltimore, 
You've got the Piedmont area, Washington County as well, um, which is producing phenomenal wines. Then you've got around Baltimore, you've got the Eastern Shore, you've got Southern Maryland, totally different microclimates. And you're seeing grape varieties that um, really aren't growing anywhere else. And, and our, our winemakers are able to kind of cherry pick interesting things because somewhere in the state, that grape will grow. And that's what's exciting about Maryland is that a winery can make uh, Pinot Grigio, Chardonnay, Albarino, Gruner, you know, on and on and on on the whites. And then on the reds, your standard Bordeaux varieties and Pinot and Saparavi, you know, and Blaufrankisch and like all of these really interesting varieties that you don't find all in one place really anywhere else. And that, that's one of the things that's really exciting to me about the industry. Kevin, so what are you drinking? I am drinking a stunningly aged Cabernet Franc from Sugarloaf Mountain Vineyard. So for those of you that are here watching, um, Sugarloaf Mountain Vineyard. So this is under their old label, uh, 2019. So, so good. I'm a big fan of Sugarloaf. I haven't been there in a while. Well, have, have you seen their new labels? No, I haven't. Their new labels are so impressive. And, it, you know, it, it reminds you that um, we have this argument all the time. And, and I had a, a radio show a couple of years ago where we had this argument all the time. And one day we did a blind tasting where we tasted through some wines, ranked them. And then we looked at the labels and ranked them. And almost unanimously, we were able to rank the ones that were going to be good with the ones who were not so good based on the quality of the label. And I know that goes against all kinds of things. I'm not saying you should go label shop, but um, it's, it's so amazing that the care that someone puts into a wine and the care that someone puts into a label, it's the same energy. A lot of so people gonna... have said that. Oh, I'm sorry, Clintus. A lot of people have said, especially when I do wine tasting classes, that's how they select their wines. Cause they're like, well, I like the label. And I think that's why so much money is put into the labels. <clears throat> yeah, it'll draw you in. Especially if you're in a big like box wine store, yeah. like <laughs> the total wines of the world. And sometimes you're going there for specific wines. You know what you want, what you want to pick. But you'll see a label like, hmm. So for me, I'll go back and I'll pull over like somebody that works there. Cause you know, they have the little shelf and they have like the workers pick. I forgot what they call it. And then say, so what did you think and how, tell right. me about this wine. But I was going to say to Kevin, I was going to, you know, I was got a joke, right? That's my job. I was going to say, so you're not going to tell us which ones were the bad and which ones are the good, are you? No. Those you label. <laughs> you can easily find them yourself. I mean, I, I look, I, 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 we have this discussion all the time where, you know, in, in the industry, um, and, and I'll say that Sugarloaf Mountain's prior labels were really good. Bordy's prior labels were really good. Catoctin Breeze just came out with a new label, right? I mean, so it's, it's not like you, you go from a lot of these, you know, it, it, there's nothing wrong with the label. They just feel like the brand has evolved. And they put this energy into redefining this brand. And the three that I just mentioned have stunning new labels and branding, which are, are really kind of international in quality in the looks of them. And that it absolutely matches when you're trying the wines. 
Um, I think you can look anywhere and see some abysmal labels. And, um, you know, I th that's, that's, a, that's to me, that is uh, the same thing as, you know, a, a tasting room that's not welcoming or, you know, it's, it's all the same theme. It's the same energy. Either someone is looking around and saying, I want to make the best, but I want to make sure that as I look around, it actually presents as the best as well versus others who are not looking around. And, and I think the quality shows it, the label shows it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's really back to that creative energy and, and the awareness of the broader market. But you'll find the bad labels on your own, and I hope you find the good labels on your own. Tanisha, I have a question. Do labels matter as much in Europe? Because I know some of your bottles don't even have labels. Labels, you mean as far as like maybe who the producer is um, and the region, kind of, but um, you mean as far as like people picking something like out the look, the, the look of the label? No, because they look largely the same. Some cursive writing, a picture of a chateau, like gold writing versus red lettering. I mean, that's kind of the same. People yeah. And you were, you told me that um, you went somewhere and they were pulling wine straight from a barrel. And so it didn't have a label at all. And then that happens too. If you're out at certain places, they'll pull it from a barrel or um, at certain bars, they do it um, in bulk. And so you can just take your own bottle in and then, you know, they'll rent it out and then they'll fill it up. So label means nothing. It's more region. They're looking for a particular region when they go into a shop or, um, wherever to buy one. Very nice. So Kevin, back to you. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about your role in the Maryland Governor's Cup? Sure. So the Governor's Cup is a competition and many states have Governor's Cup competitions. We, we always look to Virginia's as uh, you know, they do a great job with their Governor's Cup, uh, Pennsylvania beyond. Um, I've consulted on a few other states Governor's Cup competitions. And it, essentially what it is, is it is an opportunity for us as an industry to submit wines to an external panel of judges. And those judges uh, are selected by our competition director um, with some input from our wineries. If they think there's a, a psalm that needs to try our wines or, or uh, an influencer or you know, a, a writer from, uh, you know, wherever in the region or the country needs to try the wines, we'll, we'll try to bring them in to uh, taste through what end up being 150 to 200 different wines, all Maryland grown. And that's something very uh, important to note is that everything that is tasted in that Governor's Cup competition was grown here in Maryland. And so, you know, we tell the judges, uh, you may know California Cabernet, you may know New York Riesling, you may know Burgundy, you may know, you know, South African Chenin Blanc, but you need to be open to what you're going to try here because it's a different terroir. It's, it, it's, it's totally different. You may see some themes in that Cab Franc, um, but it's, it's going to be a very different uh, grape uh, wine than potentially you've tried before. And if you try through all of the wines in that flight, they're all flighted uh, appropriately. So you get, you know, dry whites that are Chardonnays. And if there's, uh, you know, uh, off dry whites, we put those in a separate category. If we have enough Albarinos to put in a flight, we put those in a flight. Otherwise, the Albarinos go into an aromatic white category. So we try to classify them. 
and we encourage the judges to, um, you know, you can't forget everything you know, but look at what's in front of you. Try the wines that are in front of you. Try to pick and, and try to see the themes. If you're tasting three or four Gruners or, you know, three or four Rosés, um, try to see the themes in how they're grown, how they're produced. We have an a initial round of judging where judges score out of 20 points. Then we come back and do a semifinal round where all the wines that were scored as gold in the different categories go up against each other. So there's, you know, the semifinal red, semifinal white, et cetera. And then we have a final round, which is um, the fun one, because it's one of each category of each of the wines that have uh, risen to the top. And it's, it's a battle royale. I mean, it's, a, it's fun to sit there and listen to the judges as they're going back and forth. Some are very polite and very professional and are quiet. And by that point in the day, um, some others, uh, you can hear the, the you know, grunts and, mm, and <laughs> they're very excited about certain wines. And I'm not going to say that, um, you know, there's lobbying, but uh, for, for as long as we've been involved, we've seen some incredible wines rise to the top and some surprising wines. So, so you know, our team works the back room, we're plugging the scores in, we're making sure the, the right wines are in the right glass and going out. Um, we have a decent sense of what's out there and what's being submitted, but sometimes there are some sleeper wines that come in and you think you know, but you have no idea. And you open that bottle and it is dreamy. And so we'll see scores come back from the judges and, um, you know, the, the, the back room goes bonkers because there was this wine that did so well and uh everybody rushes to try it and it's just it's an exciting thing and then um there's always kind of an announcement and then we do a presentation of the governor's cup and we're going to be doing a a uh, tasting and reception not too long from now kevin um i think it was like three years ago wine it was it wine enthusiasts or robert parker had um ranked 11 of the Maryland wines, like 90 points and above. Yeah, that was um, about three years ago. And that was James Suckling, formerly yes. of Wine Spectator. Yep. Um, which, you know, should not be surprising, but it is, it is surprising to many. Um, and how do you get that exposure when Maryland is, you know, not ranked in the, the top five? wine regions in the United States? Well, uh, one of the things you do is to make sure that reviewers, um, whatever that means, right, whether it's these mm -hmm. publications or whether it's uh, folks like yourselves, are exposed to local wine. And it's not just for Maryland. It's any, any region that's not in that top five ranking because surprise, surprise, um, Oklahoma is never going to break the top five, right? New Jersey is probably not going to break the top five. We're probably not going to break the top five, just in volume and acreage. And it would, it, it's it just, it's very unlikely. And so, um, you know, that was, that was actually a connection that was made through uh, Paul Vigna. You guys know Paul Vigna. So he's a, a writer and kind of wine entrepreneur out of uh, Pennsylvania. And he brings together 
the region's wineries from New York down through North Carolina twice a year just to try each other's wines and talk about what they're excited about. And to that, he invites people that he's met along the way. And one of them was one of the uh, kind of administrator reviewers for James Suckling. And so he was invited to one of those tastings. And that's kind of how uh, James Suckling and his organization got the idea of doing that American Revolution wine tasting where they invited wineries from across the country to submit. And it's, it's through, you know, a, a small private tasting that someone else pulled together and there happened to be the right contact there. But that type of coverage is so incredibly important, not so much for sales of wine. Our wineries are selling wine. It's more about credibility. It's more about being able to say, um, right, but, but look here, look at what we're doing as well. And um, of course, it does help sales. And I know our wineries who ranked in that, that top 11 who got 90s and you know anybody who was listed in there, um, their direct shipping sales picked up because people wanted to try those wines. So I just want to bring up this topic. Um, and it was like the main reason that we invited you here today. Oh boy. So, <laughs> and it it all started because I was a guest on someone else's wine podcast on in a panel style. And this was one of the topics that we had to we had to read this article and share our thoughts. Y'all was so hot. I was like, okay, no, I I I just can't believe what's happening here. But anyway, wine enthusiasts decided to exclude some of the emerging regions um, of, of the U.S. from their reviews. So they announced in July. Let me, let me edit. They decided to exclude all emerging all regions. All of them. Yeah, it's true. In July, they were no longer going to review wines from states other than California, Oregon, Washington, New York, and Virginia. Everyone else, they're not. Now. Um, a few people did hit me up in my DMs that have relationships with wine enthusiasts and said it was based on a business decision. Of course. I will put that out there. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll go first because my my initial reaction was, um, you know, those those complete improper bastards. Uh, and, and I went nuts. I mean, I, I was so upset about it. And I called them names. And I reached out to, you know, some people I knew there. And, you know, I... I it was obvious what the reason was. It's a business decision. And, and I'm happy to explain it in a minute or less as to why they did it. It makes perfect sense from a business standpoint. But guess what? You're in the wine business. But I don't get don't... why, though. Well, here's why. If you're a publication that's dying and you are reliant entirely at this point, not on subscribers because aforementioned comment, you're reliant upon advertisers. So who is going to advertise? You're going to have wholesalers and big brands who can pay to advertise. And you're going to have the receivers. You're going to have major national chains who have stores or who have restaurants who want to trumpet their Michelin this and their wine enthusiasts that and their awards. And, and they synchronize it and it doesn't take the average person long to realize that you have major cover story and then next page you have full page ad from the subject of major cover story. It's a business decision. 
Are we ever going to do it? No. Are we ever going to pay for full page ads? No. Are our wines ever going to be nationally distributed so that everybody who receives that magazine can go to their local store and buy it? No, because we're not making Apothic Red. We're never going to make Apothic Red. We may make something that's local and locally grown that tastes like it and is better and is wonderful and you can hear a concert while you're drinking it, but we're not going to be spending money in said publication. And so it's just bleed for them. It's irrelevant. It's extra time for them to pay attention to us. It, it's it just, it from a business standpoint, they should have made that decision 10 years ago. So I don't fault them for that. What I do fault them for, and if, if you don't follow Len Thompson, who is a regional wine writer, go find Len Thompson on social media and you will see all of the memes that describe viscerally how I feel about this. Len puts all these memes out and they are, they're wonderful. Some make me blush. Most, you know, still remind me that I'm angry. He's wonderful. Um, but but it, it, it reminds us that our market, it's our local f- friends and family. It's our local neighbors. It's our local restaurants. That's our general market. Yes, anybody can buy our wines. Anybody can book a flight to, you know, Dulles, BWI, National, Harrisburg, Philly, and come here and have a great time in Maryland wine country. Yes, all those things are true. But 95% of the wines that we are selling, we're selling to our local audience. And guess what? You go to Idaho and you ask that question, it's the same answer. Local audience, wine enthusiast, it's irrelevant. It had been irrelevant to us for a long time. When we had a winery that was featured, it was nice and we promoted it. But I'm not sure that it and it and it, and it was just general um, awareness building, and that's helpful, of course. But that can be done in a whole bunch of different ways, um, rather than through this publication. So, I'm out. What do y'all think? Um, I think it further promotes stereotypes that <clears throat> you can only find good wine in those regions. And it doesn't promote diversity in wine. Um, I think you can't tell me that all of this was predicated on a business decision. I think it was a, I think the majority of the decision was, and the other part was narrow-mindedness of people who haven't moved off of Fifth Avenue. I think the other thing that suffers is because recently I attended a, a uh, international tourism conference and um, people from all over the world were here and they went to restaurants in DC. And when I talked about Maryland wine, they said, well, why isn't it in the restaurants? Even they went to a Virginia winery. They said, we, we come to the nation's capital and all they have is California wine in the restaurants and, and maybe they'll have something from Willamette, what have you, which speaks to, which further promotes that narrow-minded opportunity. Now I understand, and I completely agree that Maryland wine is not meant to be um, massly distributed. It's not massly made or what have you, but when you have so few opportunities for the general public to enjoy it, then this further perpetuates that all 
Maryland wine is sweet fruit wine. And that's how we make. Yeah, and look, the, the a person, trying to figure out the, the best way to say this, a, a person's impression of a product can't be based solely on their lack of being told, right? If you wait to be told something, and then if you're not told it, right, if you don't see it on a list or if, and getting on a list has become a dead end for a lot of our wineries because they're making beautiful wines, but at the price points and then at the, at the lack of market awareness, um, there are a thousand wines on a great wine list that, that you might want to try. And it has to be hand sold. And if it's not hand sold, that's not necessarily the winery's fault. Um, let me go back to, to wine enthusiast. They are, you can't see it. They are reviewing seltzers. They dropped local wine coverage and they are now reviewing seltzers. Leslie, is that narrow-mindedness or is that's that? So, that's so decision? sad. But it's that's a business decision. A business decision because the 20-something, 30-something population, they're drinking seltzer. Now, honestly, I don't believe, and this is just my assumption, <clears throat> I don't believe that the 20-something, 30-something population is buying Wine Enthusiast magazine. I just find that really hard to believe. Oh, you don't think they're going to start now that they just reviewed Truly's Watermelon Crush? Exactly. Like, I don't think that somebody's sitting in the checkout line going, ooh, People Magazine, Sexiest Man Alive. Oh, yeah, let me pick up that copy of Wine Enthusiasm, too. No, I don't think that is happening. The totally only different. reason the only reason I buy wine enthusiasts is because of the stories in the magazine. Now that they've sort of shifted who they highlight and they're people from they're they're our friends in the industry who look like us and talk like us and you know grow the grapes in our regions. That's the reason I buy the magazine. Now I, I guess it's not going to level them out enough. You know, but it's it's just so weird how they sort of they did one thing and took away another. It's it's odd. Yeah, the, the longer I think about it, um, it's probably going to take me a year of counseling. But but the longer I think about it, I'm I'm not upset because publications like that, um, for better or worse, have been irrelevant to local wine industries for so long. When they paid attention, it was really helpful and we loved it and and that was great but we were born never relying upon it whereas california and oregon and other places man they bank on a good parker score and you see if you're on wine lists wine club lists you see that you know they're releasing you know whatever they're announcing it now they're releasing it in january and they already have parker scores and jeb dunnick scores and and suckling scores and all that they rely on it i'm not sure that people subscribed all of those things but it's a reference point would it be helpful if crow barbera got a 95 from suckling and uh links bridges you know, Pileated got a, a 93 from Wine Enthusiast or Spectator, they'd make hay of it. They, they, they would promote it. 
But I'm not sure that out in the world, someone is saying, oh, well, now I'm going to go buy it. I wasn't going to go buy it, but now I'm going to go buy it. I think they're finding our wines from different avenues and different ways. And that's why it is frankly still important to be on some wine lists. It is frankly still important. You know, as, as Leslie said, you know, have an international conference and you go into a DC restaurant, it would be nice to open that list and find some wines. I have favorite uh, restaurants and I try to make sure that that favorite list will have local wines on it. And I, I there's a new favorite that I have that has three or four really interesting, thoughtful, harder to find Maryland wines on it. And they sell it. They actually hand sell it because to them, that's like having locally raised pork or, you know, local radishes. It's the same kind of thing. You discuss it. I was in Philly uh, last weekend and I was at a natural wine bar and they had Old Westminster. And I was like, oh, yep, I'm going to try that. I went down the list and tried so many of their wines. And I thought it was so interesting. And my very first press trip was Pennsylvania. And like, I don't I don't think people realize how that changed my whole perception. I didn't know that Pennsylvania made wines that taste like that. It was probably the one of the best food and wine experiences I've ever had. And so I think I took it very personally when I saw Maryland and Pennsylvania and like all of these regions that you know, that we're sent to, to tell people about removed from the review. So I, I got really, you know, I was pissed about it. A friend of the show from Vine Pair, um, they, they are very intentional about what they review and they're very intentional about their list and they do the exact opposite they want to make sure that they have a good representation of domestic and international wines. And it's not just exclusively certain wine regions. And um, they don't seem to um, be losing money because of that. So mm-hmm. I really do think it's just, it, it is what your intention is. And, 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 when you make decisions solely on chasing a dollar, that will get you in trouble. Well, I'm not going to be late with a point because Leslie actually said exactly what I was going to say. I think it becomes exclusionary and you lose the diversity. Yeah, if, if all you're doing is stocking products that your wholesale rep brings you, and um, you can go into so many chain restaurants, I won't name them, but you go in there and and you can look at the wine list and you can go to the state's beverage journal or just do a search online and see who the supplier or importer or wholesaler is. It's the same one. This, these restaurants are using one wholesaler because it's easy and they, they basically turn it over. And I'm sure somewhere down the line, um, you know, there's a reason that those things are on a list, but it's a, it's a business decision. It, it, their priority is not sourcing local, or I should say they don't have a priority of sourcing local. And so um, that's really where the argument needs to be focused is how do we get stores, restaurants? How do we educate Psalms? How do we educate the consumer that local is important? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Tanisha, anything before we uh, close it out with Kevin? Yeah, I want to say I agree with Kevin in that it's a business decision um, and it's going to take local people 
promoting it, writing about it, things like that. Because um, also from the business standpoint, writing about a whole lot of wines that the majority of your readership can't get their hands on, that's not that beneficial either. So if you're writing about California, Oregon, okay, those wines are widely available. Wines from Maryland and Texas and uh, South Dakota or, you know, New Mexico, those aren't. Right. So uh, writing about those and people can't get them, that doesn't that doesn't make as much sense to them at this point. I think it's something that's just gonna take time. Um, uh, the American wine industry as a whole is very young in comparison to a lot of the other wine industries, definitely the old world wine industries, but American wine industry is very young and um, Maryland way younger than that. So I think it's just going to take some time for it to get more popular, more known, more widely distributed. And then I definitely think that they'll be revisiting this conversation and um, the wines and the states and regions and things that they promote. Yeah, one, if I could, if I could counterpoint that, or I guess add to it, because Tanisha, you're, you're onto it. I, I think the one thing I would add is that um, the idea about wine availability, that's a very 20-year-old model. Every winery in the country, almost every winery in the country can ship to 40-something states. So consumers can get wines just like they go on to Amazon and don't go to Target three times a day. They're going on Amazon and you know buying product and UPS and FedEx and just the, the, the model of e-commerce has changed so drastically. And so, you know, I think just to add on to your sentence, it no longer makes sense because there's not a wholesaler involved in a lot of these. There's not a standard importer involved. There's not the standard, you know, chains. So, you know, business decision. Um, I don't, uh, I hope that other, especially the online publications don't go that same way. Print, I get it. There's such a burden and you got to pay it with ads and it's hard not to have that not influence your editorial. Great. Thank I'm you. Calming guys. I'm yeah. calming down. <laughs> Before we move into our closeout questions, can you tell us about grow and certify? Grow, wait, grow and fortify. Sorry. There you go. We also certify, but grow and fortify is an organization that I started in 2015 to do for other industries in the value-added agricultural space, what um, our team had done for Maryland Wine. And so grow the industry, advocate for the industry, um, professionalize it, um, get, get it on a, a, a you know, kind of a steady footing. And that went for local breweries, local distilleries, uh, local hemp industry, agritourism. So we, we've done a lot of work around uh, what we call the value-added agricultural industry. And we've actually got a summit that we hold every two years. That's December 1st of this year. Uh, you can visit growandfortified.com to learn more about it. But it's, it's, it's very cool because you go there and yes, wine is a part of it, but you start realizing that people are making use of five and 10 acre plots all around the region to do incredibly crafty things that they're selling at farmer's markets, they're selling mail order. And it's, it's enlivening and enriching our food scene here and our kind of our agricultural space. And it's also keeping land and agriculture because row crops are not going to cut it going forward. That's fantastic. Is that Maryland wine bar still open? 
It is. It, it the bar is open. It is not entirely focused on Maryland wine. wine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I heard it, that a Virginia wine is coming. A, a Virginia wine bar is coming to DC. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, it, it I love to see to, a Maryland yeah. one. Yeah. I mean that that kind of stuff is so powerful because you're giving people an experience, and halfway through they realize wait, it's all Virginia wine or it's mm-hmm. all Maryland wine here. Yeah. That's, that's how you want to get to them. Yeah. Bring the experience. Awesome. Ladies, any other thoughts before we have our fun closeout questions? All right. So these questions are for everybody. So you can unmute yourselves. Oh, here we go. First one. And these questions are all about Maryland. Okay. Baltimore Harbor or National Harbor? Baltimore for me. Baltimore for me. Because I live on the <laughs> end of the world plus 20 miles, National <laughs> Harbor is the place to be. I'm going to say Baltimore Harbor only because when I left the area, National wasn't that built up yet. Like it was a couple of things there, but it wasn't yeah. a thing thing. I mean, if I could cheat and say neither, I'd go with the wharf, but this is nearly. <laughs> This is Maryland, so I'm going to go with Baltimore Harbor. <laughs> uh, okay, favorite Maryland restaurant? Leslie. What's with those big crab I mean, cakes? There's several, but you know what? I have to I have to go old, old, old school. Timbuktu. You can't go wrong. Whoa, you with, took it back. With a good Timbuktu baseball crab cake there. That was before my time. Okay, I bet. Glenison, Captain, what about y'all? So I'm, I'll I'll go with a little restaurant in Baltimore called Magdalena. Hmm. And the reason I'm picking Magdalena is I went there with a wine writer not too long ago, and we had a fantastic dinner. And the wine list had some really, really beautiful, it's the one I referenced earlier, some beautiful, hard-to-find local wines. And the Psalm was so excited to tell us about them before he knew what we were doing. So California Pizza Kitchen doesn't count, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, we're going to kick you off the podcast for that. <laughs> um, you know what? I think I have a couple, but my go-to, no, I think Frankly Pizza. It's a small pizza restaurant. Everything is like farm to table. Even the wines that they bring in are from small growers, small producers. You talking about so, Hydesville College Park, Franklin? No, it's oh. in Kensington. It's called Frankly. Frankly. Not Frank- Frankly. Oh, okay. Frankly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right here in Kensington, Maryland. So, Yeah, nice. that's a good space. Um, Sarita, can you delete that? Because I don't want people going there. Because then it oh. will be overcrowded. And I won't be right. <laughs> You want me to delete Glenn's answer? Yeah, I have to, please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll just bleep it out. I'll bleep it out. <laughs> I mean, she not, but like, we're going to say she did. <laughs> <laughs> Tanisha, did you have an answer? I have nothing to do with that part. But... <laughs> Tanisha, you have an answer? I don't have an answer. Okay. I'm sorry, I don't remember. Okay. No problem. My answer is okay this is hard because i will drive to annapolis or baltimore for for crabs specifically Mm -hmm. so i like harris's crab house is right on the water 
Um, and then I really like Franklin's. That's why I asked. Oh, this is Franklin's. It's a brewery restaurant. Yeah. And it's kind of yes. in Hyattsville, College Park. The food is so good. It's so uh, good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my favorite. All right. Next question. Do you have a vacation home in Maryland? If not, where would it be? I'll go first. I do not. And I'm eternally torn between somewhere on the water in Kent County, away from everybody. I can see a theme here. Or uh, out in Cumberland, out, out just outside of Cumberland, um, away from anybody. Um, but I would have to be on the river. I need water. So if anyone's got something for sale real cheap, let me know. So let me make sure. So the question is only related to Maryland. If not, where yes. would it be in Maryland? Right? Yep. Because you know, I just totally went. Okay, y'all go because um, this is. Uh, I think I, I don't have one. Let's just say that. And I would agree with Kevin. It would have to be somewhere on the water. But I actually would do like Chesapeake Beach in Calvert County. Um, you know, the nice thing about Maryland is that there's so many different um like the water area, that beachfront is not exclusive to one area. So you could go someplace and, and get lost and and nobody would find you away from someone. But yeah, you got to do that. Definitely. Well, I have vacation in Maryland that often. So let me just put that disclaimer out there and be very transparent about it. Um, but where I have been in it, so no, I don't have a vacation spot. It would be Deep Creek because I've been there and I did have a good time and we had a ball on the lake. So I like that. That's a good answer. What guys, what is the private? I think it might be private, but it's the beach with all the horses. What's that called? Is it as Yeah. Okay. That's my answer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tanisha, I'm going to assume you won't have an answer child. Um, I clearly never lived in Maryland because I have no idea what y'all are talking about. So I'm well, opt out of the rest of these. So. That, that means we got to get a place and invite Tanisha. I yes. have no idea of these places, these towns. I mean, I know that wharfs exist and that's all I got. I've been out after that. That's it. I'm going to just stay okay. on here. That's fair. Okay. Crabs or crab cakes? Crab cakes. What kind of crabs you talking about? You talking about Maryland, Maryland crabs? What do you Maryland, Maryland, crabs? Maryland blue crabs. <laughs> Maryland blue crabs. I'll give it a because you know we got a range of crabs. Like I can sit here and just show y'all crabs. Like what kind of crabs you talking about? <laughs> Woo! I'm not gonna choose. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not because if you make a good crab cake, I want it. I want a lump crab cake. I don't want no filler. I don't want the, all the fin types. I want lump crab cake. Very little mayonnaise, just lump. But if not, give me crab by itself. I don't care what kind. Blue crab, dungeon it, but that ain't Maryland. So blue crab, okay. Both. If I'm going to do crabs, and I guess since I just had crabs this weekend, it has to be the jumbos. Because I'm getting too old to pick through the small ones. 
and we had jumbos and the she clothes were almost nice. like the size. Yeah, I did. Um, the, the clothes were almost like the size of lobster claws. So mm-hmm. if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do the jumbo blue crabs. I don't do crab cakes because I don't want to get disappointed. So I it's crabs all day. I would much rather have the actual crab. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been disappointed way too much with crab cakes. Oh yeah. So I send them back. What you going what you going to tell them though? Add more meat? No. I'm very specific up front. I ask is your crab cake lump crab meat with very little filler? Or is it the fin, the back fin, mm-hmm. right? And if they tell me one thing and something else, no, thank you. Get it back. Yep. Exactly, it goes back. Same but same. what's the um? What's the crab? It's not Jimmy's. What is that crab spot? There's Jimmy's. Oh, that. It's oh, in wow. It used to be in Glen Arden, right, or right in Lanham. It's oh, with the Jerry's. 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 Now, yeah. it's yeah. now it's in Bowie. Yeah, now Bowie. it's in Bowie. Exactly. Of the crab yeah. bomb. That crab yeah. bomb is mm-hmm. lump. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Mm-hmm. It's lump. So. Yes. All right, Tanisha. I'm just making sure, Tanisha, do you have an answer? Crabs or crab cakes? I'm going to just assume crab cakes. Crab cakes, because the crabs are just too much work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember Jerry's and that crab bomb because we would go there for lunch sometimes during work and we would be full and couldn't finish the work day. <laughs> yep. yes, That's about right. That's yes. about right. And he got lemon pound cake. God almighty. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of cake, have you ever had Smith Island cake? It's mm. a Maryland's official dessert. Okay, I'm going back on mute. <laughs> and me too. <laughs> I've never, I've had, never it had it. I, I didn't it. even know it existed. I didn't know. Really? I, I, I know right. I've seen it on the Food Network and I Googled it, but no, I haven't had it. Kevin. If you find it, have it. If you ever see it, have it. Okay. It's yep. Okay. It's, it's great. Okay. Noted. It's a lot of cake. It's like 11 it's like a thousand la- layers. Yeah, oh, layers. wow. Yeah. Okay. Thin, thin layers with um, icing in between. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very last question for everyone. What was the last Maryland wine you drank? The Sugarloaf Mountain Cabernet Franc 2019. <laughs> I had um, two Lions Barbera. <laughs> I, I guess what was our last um, podcast? It was Black Ankle, right? When she sent us those samples. Was it Black Ankle? We got the the... It was Black Ankle, right? What's what the winery you used to work at? That was Black Ankle. Black Ankle. Yeah. That was the last Maryland wine you had. Oh. <laughs> you know, I'm a, mm. Maryland has not mm-hmm. started. Start, had, they don't make Cremant. So, you know, I've been drinking a whole lot. Gotcha. Smart. Okay. Bubbles. Bubbles. Yeah. Bubbles and more bubbles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't been to a, a Maryland event. Like, I just went to a Virginia event. At Mount Vernon, but haven't been to a Maryland event in a while. And you know, I have a friend who has a like tourism company, and I just <laughs> you, you better talk to her. She better step up her game. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> 
<laughs> mine was the um old westminster uh probably their pet nat one of their pet nats mm-hmm. at a natural oh, wine cool. bar in philly yeah, yeah that was my last one good stuff yeah yes yeah, awesome uh tanisha do you have an answer for us <laughs> do you remember yeah. Yes, because it was that black ankle that I had for open that bottle night because it was an older one. I think it was okay. like a 2009. Oh, wow. A couple years back. Do you remember I did like a whole thing about it? Because uh, mm-hmm. I had to, it was hard trying to get the cork out. Yeah. And it would travel with me. It, yeah, that, that was the last thing I had. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Crumbling Rock. Crumbling Rock. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, good old one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this was fantastic. Kevin, thank you for joining us yeah. today. Th- thanks for the invite. Always love talking yeah. and talking with you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, absolutely. And sharing thank the good, good word about local wine. So, yes. Your new yes, Maryland wine ambassadors. Oh, well. <laughs> Denise, come on. You're my old Maryland wine ambassador. Come on. <laughs> oh, gee. That's, yeah, that was. That's how I got started at wine. That was like the first, you know, me being like, oh, wow, wine is cool. Wine is cool. Yeah, because my first festival was Wine in the Woods. Yeah. Kevin, before you go. All right, there we go. You do. You do. It's coming back to you. Kevin, before you go, please tell everybody where they can follow you. Uh, you follow, Follow us on if you get onto any of your platforms and find Maryland Wine. And you can follow us there, MarylandWine.com, to sign up for our newsletter. And uh, we'd love to keep in touch. Awesome. Any announcements, ladies? Anything coming up? Any events or anything? No? No, this weekend is Howard's homecoming. Ah, it is homecoming season. There's a lot of activities. I need to go to bed now. So I'll be able to get up later. Well, and happy homecoming to Morgan State. Oh, yeah, y'all just had girls. I just had your homecoming. Yes. That was a cute little event. Don't do that. That's really, wow. That's so shady. 95, yeah. (laughs) So shady, Glennis. I'm not arguing no bison today. I'm not doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tanisha, you going anywhere um, next? No, I'm staying put for a couple weeks. Oh, okay. Very nice. Very nice. Nice, nice, nice. Well, that is a wrap, everybody. Thank you. Thank Till you. next time. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. Take care. Stay safe, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining this Swirl Suite. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, leave us five stars, and leave us a comment. We love ratings. Also, be sure to follow all of us on social media. Myself at Buy Me Up, Glennis at Vino Noir, Girl Meets Glass is Tanisha, Vino 301 is Leslie, and you can follow the Swirl Suite podcast account at Swirl Suite. The Swirl Suite is now a part of the Alive Podcast Network. This episode has been edited and produced by Buy Me Up Media.